Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, most of you probably know me as the girl who is up here normally singing the songs, not the one preaching. But today I get to do this, which is super fun. Um, that is because I am a worship minister here at Christ Church, and so my job is to plan services and to lead worship and to sing songs. Um, and as Tyler was talking about earlier, we are starting a new series for the rest of the semester that is talking about worship. And guys, I'm pumped, but I get it that it's my job to be pumped, so I could probably talk for a really long time, but I promise I won't. But I wanna start off with two stories. Maybe favorite, but probably more cringy is the better word that I'm gonna use for these two stories of some of my favorite moments. I've been leading worship a long time. And so here's some two, two fun memories. So the first one, I was a junior in high school. Where are my juniors at? Juniors, okay, okay, okay. And I was leading worship at this camp. So for those of you guys who've been to D group retreat, picture like Sayokumo, like rustic, you know, next to a pond that's like weirdly green. Um, and we were having this service outside in their like pavilion area. So picture the chapel where we have our famous lip sync battle, but without like walls. So it's like outside. And we are coming out of this super reflective time. Everyone's praying. It's quiet. Like there's silent, like pretty music playing. And so I'm playing guitar and I get the head nod from my worship minister to go into the next song. So I'm playing and I like start playing the intro. I take a step forward to my mic. My eyes are closed. I sing the first word of the, of the verse and I open my eyes and there's a massive spider on the end of my mic and it's literally like this far away from my face. And I'm really proud of myself that I didn't scream into the mic, right? Okay. However, I did make a sound that was like a mix between a squeak and a choke as I gasped and the Holy Spirit was with me. I did not inhale the spider, thankfully. But I now will always check my mic for spiders before I sing. Even if I'm inside, I'm not gonna chance it. It's not gonna happen. Terrifying. Um, the moment was definitely ruined. So the Lord was still praised, it's fine. The second happened in this very room. So I've been leading worship here in this room for a while too. Five years ago when I was a, a young little intern, my friend Seth and I were leading worship together and he's the one that you'll see in this video. I'm actually off to the side, you can't see me in the video, but he's the one who's trying very hard not to laugh as he sings. And we lovingly refer to this moment many years later, as the sound fart. So, enjoy. To our sin we were blind. Yeah. So the Lord was still praised, but it's very awkward. Um, anyways, all jokes aside, um, most of my job is planning services, is leading worship on stages like these, rooms like these. Um, however, though, I think we all know that worship is not just what happens from stage in rooms like these or on Sunday mornings. But I would bet that the mental picture that comes to mind when you hear the word worship is oftentimes a group of people gathering together in a room like this singing songs which isn't, like, it's not wrong, it's just incomplete. And so tonight, I really wanna just talk about what is worship, who does we worship, why do we worship, and how do we do that with our entire lives? So 
Turn your Bibles or your Bible apps, whatever you have, to Romans chapter 12. And tonight we're asking this question of what is worship? Um, Here's how I like to define it and we'll break it down a little bit more. But worship is assigning ultimate worth to something or someone. So what does this mean? We give worth to something by it taking up space in our lives, it taking up space in our calendars, it's influencing our decisions. Um, Something that is assigned ultimate worth in our life is something that our entire lives revolve around, center of everything. So, um, all right, so raise your hands if you have ever had a brand new puppy. Anyone got a brand new puppy? Yeah, okay. They're adorable, right? They're so cute. Um, However, They are a lot of work. They are a lot of time and effort and money. They take training, you have to housebreak them. Um, And even once they're trained, someone has to be there to let them out to go to the bathroom or to put them in their kennel so they don't destroy the entire house, right? Yeah. So I've never had a puppy, um, but I have found, uh, one day I found some baby kittens in my backyard, in a tree in my backyard. They're super cute. I think they're gonna play a video of them in a little bit. And I love cats, but instantly um, my life went from just minding my own business to, um, there they are, they're so cute. Yeah, see, they're adorable, right? Yeah. So instantly my life went from minding my own business to buying food for them to like, I put a, <laughs> I put a tarp around this tree because it was raining a bunch and there's a hole in it. And I was like, well, they're gonna get wet and cold. Guys, I was a little crazy. Um, I also had to make sure that the mama cat didn't move them to my neighbor's yard, which had, they have like 17 dogs. And I was like, no, we're not gonna do that. So every waking minute of my free time was spent outside playing with them, making sure they're eating. I, was, I rubbed them down with ice cubes because it was during the summer and it's like 95 degrees outside and they're tiny little kittens, okay? And I get that this example breaks down a bit. Like I get that I'm not an ancient Egyptian. I don't worship cats. And I get that just because you spend time welcoming a dog into your home doesn't mean that you worship dogs. But the truth of the matter is, the, the thing that your life revolves around, the thing that takes up most of your time and your mental energy is what you worship. So maybe in your life, your life centers around a sport. It takes up all of your time. You sacrifice sleep, time with your friends and family or church to train or compete It dictates what you eat, what you don't eat, how early you wake up, how you exercise. Um, Maybe your life centers on relationships. Your mind's default setting is thinking about one person, your boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe someone you wish was your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe it revolves around your friends or what people think of you. Maybe your entire mood for the day is based on how someone reacts to something that you say or whether your friend smiles at you in the morning. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's grades. Maybe it's music, maybe it's your future plans um, that dictate how your entire life is shaped. Maybe those things are the, the thing that holds that central seat in your life. But whatever it is, that is what you worship. And my goal today is to show you that the only thing worthy of that central seat in your life is God. So I promise I haven't forgot about the passage I had you turn to. We're going to start in Romans 12, verse 1. Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Now, if you studied the Bible with us before, you've probably heard us say this thing of, if you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, what's it there for? Perfect, great. Um, and this section actually follows directly after what Grace just read for us um, in, in Romans 11, where Paul basically, scholars actually think it's a song. He literally breaks into song in the middle of his, his speaking, his writing, and he starts just talking about how amazing God is, how great, how majestic, how powerful he is. And then he says, in light of all of those things, in light of just the amazing God that we serve, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I'm urging you to do. So it's who are we worshiping? He starts off with saying, in view of God's mercy, worship naturally flows when we are reminded and when we focus on the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus, the good news of who God is, what he has done for us. And when we shift our focus away from the gospel, that's when we're tempted to put something else in that centerpiece of our lives. Um, a couple Sundays ago, actually it was probably about a month ago, um, Michael Fazio was speaking on Sunday morning church over across the parking lot. And he made two comments about worship that really stuck with me um, that help, helps us think through this. One, he said, we cannot worship a God that we do not know. And two, oftentimes our worship is half-hearted because our minds are filled with pointless things. So I want to start off, let's remember, let's think about the gospel. Let's think about what God has done for us, who he is, and what he has done on our behalf. So I'm going to read um, one of Paul's descriptions of the gospel, or actually earlier in Romans. And I want you to soak it in. Um, if you're an auditory listener, if you do well hearing things, just listen. Um, close your eyes. If you are a visual learner, it's going to be up on the screens. So follow along. But it really, take in these words. Remind yourself of what God has done in your life and how this is the saving uh, grace of what he's done. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, to set us right with him, to make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master, Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We could understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. We can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us, us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us when we... When we... Um, Wow, I lost my place. Um, when we were of no use to him whatsoever. So now that we are set right with God, by means of this sacrificial death, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we've actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. And I know that that's wordy, but that is the gospel. That is what he has done for us. He has thrown open his doors to us. He has rescued us. He has offered himself on our behalf. Which brings us to the next piece of verse one. Paul says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing. He says, offer your bodies, offer all of you. Engage your minds to think about God, yes. Engage your hearts to ground yourself in what is true, but also use your bodies to display what you know and believe and feel. He also says sacrifice. Sacrifice is a complete surrender. Um, In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about, he's explaining what it looks like to follow him, a life following him. And he uses the words, take up your cross. He literally, it's a call to die. It's a call to sacrifice the things that we want to put center, that our desires, our will, the things that we want to attribute ultimate worth and value. But it's not just a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice where the goal is holiness. I think oftentimes we forget that these two things are tied together. We talk a lot about how God offers us a life of holiness and a life of joy, a life of peace, all these good things and and wholeness, which is so true. But yet we, we forget that there is an act that has to be done in order to walk in those newness, not to, to gain it or to earn it, but there is a means of we can't really live in joy if we're not willing to walk in, in the areas that need, um, that need to be walked in with joy. So C.S. Lewis writes it this way, um, probably one of my favorite writers of all time. Um, he says, this process of surrender is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we've been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of ourselves, undergoing a kind of death. Remember, this repentance, this willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death, is not something God demands of you before he will take you back or something that he could let you off of if he chooses, it's simply a description of what going back is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, you're really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. This surrender, the sacrifice of our will and desires is pleasing to God. Not because God has all these hoops that he's making us jump through, or he's just this God that we're trying to appease and keep happy on our behalf, but because God is our creator, he is wise, he is good. We literally just walked through the entire gospel of what he's done for us, who he calls us that we are. And so we can trust that he as our creator who, who is wise and who is good actually knows what's best for us. So the surrender is actually what is best for us. He knows that the things that we'd rather surrender to, the things that we already put center in our lives are actually things that will only cause pain and, dis- and destruction. And this intense call is what Paul calls our true and proper worship. He continues to flesh this out um, in verse two, um, saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you probably heard some adults in your life say something like, show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future, or you are who you hang out with. And this isn't far off from the idea of the object of your worship is what's shaping you. The object of what your life centers around is what you're transformed by. So if you spend time conforming to what's going on around you, if you spend time trying to fit in or trying to stand out, then that is what you'll be shaped by. And earlier in Romans, Paul describes it like this. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then verse 25, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So we look to things besides Jesus, and we place things besides Jesus at the center, we're actually exchanging the truth for lies. 
And we're trusting in things that are empty. We're trusting in empty promises. We're trusting in false hopes that will only leave us disappointed. So again, Paul talks to the importance of engaging our minds. It really comes down to the shift of allegiance. When we stop thinking about what we want, we stop thinking about making sure that we're on top, that we're heard, that we're seen, that we're getting what we want, and trusting our lives to our creator who actually knows what's best for us. And if this shift of allegiance takes place, if we really are transformed by the renewing of our minds, then Paul continues to say that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we place God at his proper central seat, when we spend time with him, when we read about him in scripture, when we reflect on what is true of who he is, then we naturally become the people who want what he wants for us. We naturally become the people who are in tune with his spirit. So think of it this way. Think of your best friend. You didn't just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to know everything about them, and instantly you did. Or you didn't just decide, okay, now I'm able to know what they like, what they don't like, what they struggle with, what gets them super excited. Or I now can understand that when they use this tone of voice, this is what they mean. Or I now can understand every intricate thing of how they use their facial muscles. No, like you can't read their body language like that. How? How do you do that? You spend time with them. You talk with them. You ask them questions. You get to know them. You hear their story. You maybe get to know their family. So the same is true about Jesus. We can't just decide one day, oh, I'm going to be able to know. um, I'm going to be able to walk in, in, in the life that he calls me to do. No, we spend time with him. We learn about him from scripture. We talk about him with our family and with our friends. We're reminded of his faithfulness, of his goodness. In, in, in community. When we actually choose to obey the things that he says that we should do, then we will slowly but surely begin to be the people that we are created to be. We won't be perfect, but we will be transformed by the object of our worship. And when we begin to look more like Jesus, not because we are checking all the boxes and doing all the right things, working really hard at it, but because we're spending time with Jesus, we're centering our lives around him and allowing him to influence everything. So, I say all that. What do we do with that? What's some takeaways? I have two things for you. One that you can do in like two minutes. And the second thing um, for all the days after. So I said before that worship is not just singing, which is true. But it is something that we've been doing since the very beginning of the church as an act of worship. And it may feel weird to think about, but... What's cool about when we gather to sing is that people from all over, all over the world, all over with different backgrounds, different stories, different ethnicities, come together. We're breathed together. We sing the same phrases of truth at the same time. It's unifying. Um, God is glorified in this, but it's also, it's also encouraging to one another. Some of my favorite moments in worship um, are times when for whatever reason, I can't even like muster the strength to agree with the things that I'm saying. Whether I'm in a situation where I'm just struggling and I'm like, I don't actually believe that you're good, God. Or man, I don't see that you're faithful. And I can't even like sing those words. And yet if I'm standing in a room of people, whether it's family or friends or whether it's strangers, and I have these words sung over me, reminding me of what is true, reminding me of who I am, reminding me of what, what has been done on my behalf. That it's not only praising God, it's it's good for my soul. So yes, when you sing, you are bringing glory to Jesus, but you're also encouraging and reminding those around you. So in the context of singing as an act of worship, 
Here's some things you can do. Let your body display what your heart is feeling. Paul literally says, offer your bodies. For me, um, when I talk to God, I find it easier to focus uh, when I keep my eyes open and I focus on an object. If I'm praying, I'll like focus on this chair. It reminds me that just as this chair is in this room, it's tangibly, physically there, then Jesus is there with me having this conversation. But when I sing, oftentimes when I want to focus in on what I'm singing and I don't want to be distracted by things around me, I close my eyes and I picture him with me present in the room. Um, sometimes I think it's easy to think about this as in terms of people. Um, I read somewhere that 55% of communication is actually nonverbal, is body language. So when we talk with someone, we, we use our entire beings. We use our hands. We use our faces. We're communicating something with our entire bodies. But why is it then that when we're in the presence of God, oftentimes our bodies show boredom or disinterest or even worry or fear or anxiety? Um, I talk with my hands. I'm going to sing with my hands. I smile when I'm happy. So in, in worship, if there's something that hits home to me, I'm going to respond with my face. And I'll be the first one to say that I cannot dance, okay? I'm self-conscious. I am weird and goofy and quirky, okay? But one of the, honestly, probably one of the best acts of worship that I can do is to not take myself too seriously, to put aside my pride, my worry of looking dumb or being a fool, and actually, like, let loose before the Lord to be, um, to lay down my pride, to lay down my reputation and say, it's not about me. It's not about what I look like. It's not about people around me. David danced before the Lord. He was indignified, scripture says. And so sometimes that is being goofy is, is a great act of worship. My friend Elijah describes it like this. If you're doing something that causes you to feel vulnerable before God, you're probably doing it right. But if you're doing something that feels comfortable or cool, then you're probably not doing it for the right reasons. Let the words you're seeing soak in and respond accordingly with your whole self. Second thing, for all the days after, center your life around Jesus. Place him as the ultimate value in your life. Prioritize time with him. Don't just check box and be like, oh, I did my devotional time this morning. Prioritize it. Remind yourself, relive the gospel, what he has done for you, who he is, what he says is true. Spend time in his word. Relive it through scripture. Remind yourself of the story of God. Relive it through community. Ask your friends, how have you seen God be faithful in your life? How have you seen God be faithful in, in the world around you? Maybe even more so, make sure that the, the voice in your head, the constant criticism that I feel like we always fight against, make sure that that voice is actually encouraging, that that voice is actually aligned with the gospel. That when you're telling yourself things, that you're telling yourself gospel truth, that God is good, that God is for you, that God is rescuing you. Don't justify your actions. <laughs> Rest in the fact that God's grace is for you, and yet he's actually calling you to holiness. He's calling you to good things, not of shame and of fear, but of empowering. And relive the gospel. So like I did before, I have everybody close your eyes. And I'm going to read through the gospel, the story of what God has done for us. And maybe this is something that is so... Um, old to you, that it just, it's church words. It feels, um, it doesn't carry weight. But maybe you've never heard about this. Maybe this is something that's like, I don't know why I should put Jesus at the center. This is what God has done for you. This is the truth of the gospel. That we have in fact all messed up. We have all sinned against God. Yet God in his great mercy stepped into our mess and offered a way out through Jesus. 
For Christ sacrificed everything to step into our shoes, to die a death he did not deserve, so that he could take on all of our sin and all of our shame. And it didn't end there, for he defeated death and all that had power over us. And he rose again, ushering a new life for us through that one act. And not only that, he has given us his spirit to help us leave behind the things that once dragged us down so that we could be made whole, so that we can be made holy like we were always created to be. That is the gospel. That is the good news that we should relive every day, that we should center our lives around. So with that in mind, let's offer our bodies, let's offer our minds, let's offer our hearts, and let's offer our voices as an act of worship. Do you stand and sing? Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.